Heavenly Father, again, we thank You for Your Word. And I thank You, Lord, that You desire to speak to man, even today. And Lord, these words that were written down so long ago apply to every life in this room this morning. Father, we pray, Lord, that we again would prepare our hearts to hear from the Creator of the universe. Lord, that we would hear from You, Father, that we would apply what we hear to our lives, that we'd be more conformed to Your image. That, Father God, we would be used to, to reach a lost and dying world. So, Lord, we love You. We praise You, Father, again, that man would decrease, that Your Spirit would increase, that You would be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. By way of review, real quick, we're going to pick up halfway through Luke chapter 2 this morning. And for those, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, I want to say welcome, but one of the things that we do here is we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the entire Bible. Right now on Wednesdays, we're going through Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 47. So I encourage you, if you're not doing anything on Wednesday night, come on out. We're going right through the Old Testament. And this morning, we're in Luke. We went through all of Matthew, then Mark. There's tapes available in the back. Now, Luke is the gospel that was written particularly to the Greeks, written to those who did not know God for the most part. And it really emphasizes the humanity of Jesus Christ. Where the Gospel of John will emphasize the deity of Jesus Christ, where the Gospel of Matthew uh, really emphasized the fact that He was the Messiah and the coming King. The Gospel of Mark emphasized the fact that He was the servant who came to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. We see that in this Gospel He emphasizes mainly the humanity, that Jesus, though being 100% God, was willing and became 100% man that we might be relinked back, relinked back to God. In chapter 1, we saw the, con the contrast between two people and the response to angels showing up and telling them the good news of Jesus Christ. The first one was a man by the name of Zacharias. We know that he was a high priest of the day, that the lot fell to him to go into that most holy place where he was going to burn incense unto the Lord. And we know while he was there, an angel appeared to him. And his response was, the angel told him that he and his wife, an improbable task, were going to have a child in their very old age. And we know that Zacharias' response was faithlessness. And in his faithlessness, the Lord made him deaf and mute. Now, what's interesting about that is that he was rendered totally ineffective for ministry because he was faithless. And the same is true of each one of us in this room this morning. If we become faithless at the Word of God, we will be rendered ineffective for ministry. Now, this same angel, Gabriel, came and appeared to Mary. We know the story of her, a young woman, and she was told that something not improbable but impossible, that she was going to give birth to the very Son of God. And she believed by faith, and God used her mightily. Now, last week, we then saw the incredible transformation, well, the last couple of weeks, of Zacharias. First, as, as we see that after nine months of being faithless, that when the time came to name his son, he was obedient to what God had said, and he named him John, which means God is gracious. And at that moment, when he reacted and responded with faithless, faithfulness from faithlessness, we saw that God used him mightily, and he began to rejoice and became an example to others. So the good news is that even if in the past we've been faithless, God can still use us. Amen? If you're breathing in and out, God's not done with you. Amen? And He still wants to use you. So praise the Lord for that. And then last week, we saw the Christmas story. The birth of Jesus Christ. And we saw the different reactions to Jesus being born. And it's interesting to me that just like people miss Christmas today, so they did 2,000 years ago. We know that the first people, group of people that we looked at were the innkeepers. And these men were so busy, I said it was probably like Super Bowl Sunday or Mardi Gras, right? I mean, this is, the, this is the busiest time in Bethlehem. They only had the census every 14 years. And here's this huge week, festival week, and they all come together for the census. And during this great time of census, they all showed up, 
And when the Lord showed up, they were so busy chasing after money and so busy pursuing the, the cares of the world that when the Lord showed up at their door, they missed Him. That's not unlike many today. We're so busy with the cares of this world that we miss Jesus Christ completely. So we saw the innkeepers. But then we saw, along with the innkeepers, the shepherds. And the shepherds were those that were hirelings. They were considered low among the world. They were the ones that were out sitting up on a hill watching over someone else's sheep. And the Lord appeared to them. And because they were humble and they were faithful and they were willing to see God, God spoke an awesome message to them. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Right? He told them that Jesus had been born. And the shepherds went down, they acted by faith, and they saw Jesus Christ born. They saw Him. They found Him in a manger. We talked about the fact that they said He was in a manger, didn't tell them where. They ran through the city looking for Jesus. And the, the, the message for us today is that those who seek after God will find Him. God is not hiding. Amen? He desires to have a relationship with every single one of you. And not just a surface Sunday morning and Wednesday night relationship, but a 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week, intimate fellowship with you. Then it blow you away that the Creator of the universe wants to have that kind of relationship with you? But that's what He wants. And all He desires is that we seek after Him. And the, and the shepherds did, and we know that they went away from there praising God and telling everybody they came into contact with about the truth. And what's neat to me is it says at the end of the text that we looked at last week that they went back to their jobs praising God. And as Christians, we need to do the same thing. Christianity is not something we do at church on Sunday and Wednesday. Amen? Christianity is 24-7. Most of you know I have a full-time job along with pastoring this church. And you know what? I'm not a yellow-page salesman who happens to be a Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to sell yellow-page ads. And you know what? I don't check my Christianity at the door, and none of us should. And these shepherds went back, and they were praising God at their job site. They were praising God and lifting up His name, and we need to do the same. So that brings us to, to the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. And this morning, we're going to see several more reactions to Jesus. Jesus, at this point, is an infant. And we're going to look at this morning His infancy, infancy up to His early teenage years, up till he's 12 years old. We're going to see that this morning. And we're going to see that the response to Jesus varies very much like it did today, does today. We're going to see those that he'll be there and they will, they'll miss it completely. But we'll see others who are looking for the Lord and they will find him. We'll see, first of all, the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph to raise Jesus Christ. Even though he is God, they're going to raise him in a godly home. We're going to see that. We're going to see the prophecy of Simeon. We're going to see the testimony of Anna. And then we're going to see those that heard the words of Jesus Christ as a teenager as they marvel in amazement at His words. So let's begin in verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. And let's take a look first at the circumcision and presentation of Jesus Christ. It says, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, His name was called Jesus. Now, in the law of Moses... In those days, they were commanded by God to go, it says in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, that on the eighth day they would bring their child and they would be circumcised. And it was then that they would name their child. And circumcision was a pointing back to the covenant God had made with Abraham. It was also in remembrance of the fact that they were in need of a Savior, that they were in need of a covenant. It was a constant reminder. And so they went in and they brought him in and it was at that time that they would be asked, and what is his name? What is the name of your child? And we're going to see the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph that they rose according to what the Word of God had told them to do and they brought, even though he's our Savior, they brought him into the temple to be circumcised, a representation of man's need for a Savior. And they said, what shall his name be? And they said his name is the name that was given to them by God. His name will be Jesus. Now, Jesus means... The Lord is salvation, or it can also mean Savior. 
And that's what the name Jesus means. So what shall his name be? His name is the Lord is salvation. That's his name. His name is Savior. And that's exactly who he was. And so his name was given to him even before birth. Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill it. It's interesting to me that Jesus Christ, though he is God, still was obedient unto the law. His family took him in and he still went through the rituals. Why? Because they all pointed to the coming Savior. You know, I hear people say this all the time. Oh, that's in the Old Testament. Like the Old Testament somehow is not a part of the Bible anymore. Let me just tell you that it's the whole counsel of God. Amen? All 66 books are inspired by God and apply to our life today. Now, we're not making sacrifices in the temple anymore. Amen? We're not dragging, you know, nobody, I didn't see anybody dragging any lambs in here this morning. Right? We're not going to be sprinkling blood on an altar. We're not doing that anymore. But I want you to know that everything that was in the Old Testament was pointing to the coming Messiah. And it all pointed to Jesus Christ. And He was the fulfillment of the law. It says here, it says, to get, And the name was given to Him by the angel before He was conceived in the womb. The name that was given to Jesus Christ was a name that is above all names. And it was a name that was given to Him before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that he was the, the lamb who was slain before the world was even created. Nothing surprises God. God is sovereign. God knew that Adam and Eve would sin in the garden. God knew that they would need a Savior. And He knew that He would become flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And that He would pay the price for us on the cross. Then the third day He would raise from the dead. He knew that He would ascend back to the Father and prepare a place for us, which is where He is now. That He'd be seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us every single day. And He knew that He would be coming back for His church one day. And just as sure as the prophecy of Jesus Christ's name, of Him being born, so too is the prophecy of His coming back just as sure. Amen? You can know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen? How many of you know that? He's coming, right? Now, no, we don't know when, but we know He is. And we need to live every day like He's coming tomorrow. And so His name was given from the womb and to the revelation and calling of God. In Luke chapter 1, it says, And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call His name Jesus. He will be great and He will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of His kingdom there will be no end. The kingdom of God will never, ever, ever end. You know, every other kingdom of every other man, of every other leader, of every other person who's ever lived has come to an end. I don't care if you're Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great's kingdom came to an end. You know what? The kingdom of, of the dot-coms just came to an end, right? I mean, all these kingdoms, they come and they go, but the kingdom of God will endure forever. And aren't you glad? I'm, I'm glad that my faith is not in the stock market. I'm glad that my faith is not in any man or any kingdom or even in our country, though I'm blessed to live in this country. My faith is in Jesus Christ alone, and He alone will endure. Amen? That's who we trust in. Jesus, the Lord is salvation. And it's interesting to me that the one that went before him, John, his name meant, who remembers? What did John's name mean? God is gracious. And you know what? God is gracious. And who came right behind God is gracious? Our Savior. Amen? A picture of God's grace. Verse 22. Now in the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now in those days, when again, back to the law of Moses, in both in Exodus and Leviticus, they were called that, that when a woman gave birth to her firstborn child, that they were to bring that child into the temple and present it to the Lord. But there was a time of purification. And if the baby was a boy, the time was 40 days. And if the baby was a girl, the time was 80 days. And at the end of that time, they would then come into the temple and they would offer that child up unto the Lord. 
So Mary, being obedient to the Word of God, we know that Mary knew what the Word said. Okay, again, make it real clear, we've talked about this in the past, Mary is in no way, shape, or form equal to, close to, or anything like Jesus Christ. Amen? A lot of times you grow up in churches where they tell you, oh, Mary and Jesus are co No, they're not co-anything. Mary needed a Savior. Now, Mary was blessed among women. Mary was a godly woman. Mary was used by God. But Mary was in need of a Savior just like each one of us. Amen? Now, she was, though, godly, and her and Joseph knew that this was the law of Moses. And they obeyed the law of Moses. They brought Jesus into the temple after 40 days of her purification. Purification was a remembrance again, both just like circumcision, there were necessary reminders that we are all born in sin. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in, the sin, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, although Jesus could have been excused from circumcision and from being presented because He was without sin, yet just like He would later do in baptism, and as He would ultimately do on the cross, He, he allowed Himself to be come sin for us. Amen? The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. And so He goes through these rituals and He goes through baptism. Did Jesus Christ need to be baptized? Do any of us need to be baptized to be saved? The answer is no. But baptism is an outward statement of an inward change. But Jesus Christ didn't need an inward change because He was without sin. But yet He did it to fulfill all righteousness to be the example for us. And so they take Him into the temple and there He's presented to the Lord. Verse 23. And it says to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now the dedication of the firstborn son was also required by the law of Moses. And it's much like baby dedications are today. I've talked about this in the past that, you know, some of you may not know it. I went to church in this very room when I was a teenager, when I was in high school. And... Later, I, my, my wife got saved here, and then when my daughter was dedicated to the Lord, it was right here, 13 and a half years ago. So we're, we're like coming back home. It's, it's a blessing. There's some other people here who know this place pretty well, too. And it's a total blessing to see that God's brought us back here. But what's neat is that we dedicate our children unto the Lord. We want to raise our kids in a godly home. And dedication is saying to God, Lord, they're not my kids, they're yours. Lord, I give their lives completely to you and for your glory, for your honor, for your praise. Lord, they're yours. I dedicate their lives to you. Help me to raise them in a godly home. To honor you with my children. Not to, not to seek first their desires, but the will of the Father. And dedicating of the lives of, of their children to the Lord is something that I believe we need to continue today. And I want to encourage you to do that. Those of you who have kids, dedicate their lives to the Lord every single day. Be praying for them. Seek after God's perfect will for them. Verse 24. And to offer sacrifice according to that which was said of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now when they would bring the the firstborn child in, not only did they bring the child in and dedicate the child to the Lord, but they would make sacrifice. And it says in in the book of Leviticus that they were supposed to bring a lamb of the first year. So a, a baby lamb. Now how many of you have ever seen a lamb before or petted a lamb before? They are the most docile and... Seemingly from, you know, innocent animals. And can you imagine taking in a little baby lamb and, and looking in the big eyes of a lamb, and they're so soft, and you, know, you pet them and hold them, and you take this lamb in, and then you slit its throat. Because, not because of what the lamb did, but because of what you did. You have to look in the eyes of this little innocent lamb and put it to death because of your sin. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? 
And when they would bring their child in for this dedication, they would bring with them a lamb and then a turtle dove or a pigeon, right? And the lamb would be a burnt offering unto the Lord. They would make a sacrifice, a sacrificial offering that pointed to the Messiah. Then they would, the, the, the other animal, the bird, would be a sin offering for the sins that they had committed. Now, it's interesting that here they have the very lamb of God in their hands and they're going in to make sacrifice. But it says here in this verse that they took a pair, of, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And the reason for that is that Mary and Joseph were allowed, just like anybody else in the Bible it says, for those who did not have the wherewithal, the money, to buy a lamb that they could use turtle doves or pigeons instead. So what does that tell us about Mary and Joseph? It tells us that they were poor. It tells us that they were of no wealth. So... Here's our Savior, born in a manger to a poor family. You know, boy, that's a little contrary to you know, the name and claim it thing we got going on in the world today, right? You've got to just believe and God will give you... That, 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 I don't see that in Scripture. Amen? We're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But a lot of people say, well, seek after the world and get as much stuff as you can and we'll know who the Christians are in the end times because they'll be the ones with the most money. And that's, that's a lie. The Bible says that later the Lord had no place to lay His head. And we know, so here He is, the Son of the living God. He could have been born into any family He desires to because He's God, He's the creator of the universe. And yet He's born into a family that has no money and He's born in a manger. And He's also born to a mom who's going to be given heat by many why? Because many of them would not believe her story and would think that she had had a child out of wedlock. Right? So this is, this is the family that our Savior was born into. And you know what? I want you to know that, so if you've come from a difficult home and you think, man, my, my, my upbringing has been difficult, let, let me tell you that the Lord can relate to you. Amen? In every way. He knows exactly what you're going through. He's been there. Amen? So they bring Him in and they make sacrifice unto the Lord and again, Mary and Joseph were poor. But while they were poor, we know that, they're, that not long after this, it's not in the text here because Luke doesn't talk about it, they get some visitors, don't they? Right? The Magi, the wise men. And the wise men come and they bring them gifts. It's not in the Gospel of Luke. But it happens after this. And when they come, it's God's provision for Mary and Joseph. It's worship unto the Lord, but it's also provision for them. And God is faithful to provide for us. That doesn't mean you're going to be driving a Mercedes and living in you know, a $2 million house, but God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. Amen? And our, our, we should not be stressing out or worried about provision, but we should be faithful with what God has given us. God always provides. So now we've seen that He's brought into the temple, and now we're going to see the reaction of one who's been seeking after God, an old man by the name of Simeon. And this man, Simeon, is one who is dedicated to the Lord, who had been praying and asking God that He would allow him to see the Messiah before he died. So Simeon, we're going to see, is a man from God and a man who prophesies toward men. Verse 25, and Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose surname was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, it's interesting to me, it says he was just and devout. It's a, you cannot be just unless you're devout. Devout means, in this case, devoted to God. What makes you just? Not your good works, not the things you've done, not the fact that you go to church. Not the, it's your devotion and your love and your relationship with God. Without a relationship with Him, we are not just. The Bible talks about the, the three-fold ministry of Christ in the life of a believer. There's justification, sanctification, and then glorification. Justification, for all the years I was a youth pastor, I used to tell the high school kids, justified, think of it as just as if I had never sinned. 
You have been justified through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And as soon as you give your life to Him, you've been justified. And it's just as if you've never sinned. Then you begin what is called the sanctification process. The word sanctification means to set apart. And God is setting you apart unto Him. He's conforming you more and more into His image. And as Christians, we should be growing in our walk with God every single day. We will never arrive until we're glorified. Amen? And that doesn't happen until you're dead, right? Amen? You will not be glorified on this earth. You're being sanctified, set apart, conformed to His image, made more and more like Jesus Christ. And it says here, He was devout and just man, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now that term, consolation of Israel, is a messianic term. And it's a term that, that the, the Jews would even sing a song, a prayer. May I see the consolation of Israel. It was a prayer that they would pray. And the consolation of Israel refers to the fact that Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, and bring restoration to a people who have been oppressed, a people who have struggled, and they're waiting for the Messiah, they're waiting for the answer. And, it, and so he says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it says here that and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, all those who missed the Messiah, all those who missed the real meaning of Christmas, the innkeepers and everybody else who missed Jesus Christ, the key element that was missing was the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible tells us very clearly that we cannot understand the Word of God apart from the Holy Spirit illuminating it to us. Amen? We don't get divine revelation because of our study habits. It comes from the Holy Spirit opening our eyes that we might see and understand and know the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We want to grow in our faith. We spend time in His Word. But we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate it to us. That's why people who don't know Jesus Christ don't get it when it comes to the Bible. Have you ever talked to somebody about the Lord and it's like talking to the wall? You know what I'm talking about? You go, look, here it is! Look, does it, look how simple the message is! Salvation is not 47 different rules. That in it, you know, We don't have to crawl to Mecca on glass to prove to God that we love Him. We don't, have to do, you know, we don't have to keep all these rules and rituals, the 268 laws of the Jews. We don't have to do any of that. We need to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But the world doesn't get it because they have not the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, we will not understand the Word of God. And it's interesting to me here that we see that He is waiting upon the Lord and the Holy Spirit is upon Him. And I love that. You know what? God uses those upon whom He places His Holy Spirit. Simeon was a man who was led by the Spirit of God. He was taught by the Word of God. And he was obedient to the will of God. And that's the, that's the life of, a, of somebody who's walking with the Lord. We need to first be filled with the Spirit of the living God. We need to be in the Word of God and then obedient to the will of God in our lives. So it says here, verse 26, And it had been re- revealed to him by the power of the, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It had been revealed to him. It was significant that with messianic expectations running so high in the city at that time, that almost everybody missed Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Were the Jews waiting for the Messiah at that time? The answer is yes. They were looking for him. They couldn't wait. Now they were looking for a different Messiah. They wanted a Messiah that was going to overthrow Rome so they could rule and reign and be in charge and, and you know crush the Romans under their feet. But they were looking for the Messiah, but yet they, all, they virtually all missed it. And it's interesting to me that the only ones that recognized Jesus Christ for who He was were those who either angels appeared to or the Holy Spirit revealed it to them. So there has to be a, a prompting or a calling. But you know what? There may also be true too that 
that angels were trying to appear to others. And the Holy Spirit was drawing others, but they were so busy with the cares of the world that they missed it. So only a handful of people, and virtually all of them, received some kind of supernatural intervention or they would have missed it themselves. We cannot fully understand, again, the Word of God without it being illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And the sign of a Spirit-filled believer is a desperation to know God better and to hunger for His Word. You know when I know somebody, when God's having an impact on somebody's life, when they can't get enough of the Bible? You know, if, you don't, if you're not walking with God, the Bible's boring, I don't want to hear about it, what's on TV tonight, I don't, you know... And let me just encourage you, read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? I mean, crack open the Bible, get in God's Word. He so want, desperately wants to speak to you. But what happens instead is that, that if we're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, ah, but you see people are on fire for God and they just can't get enough of God's Word. I see it on Friday mornings. We meet at the Heavenly Cafe. you got a dozen guys coming at 7, 7 o'clock in the morning to study the Bible. That's a hunger for the Word of God. And we see here that the same is true of a man like Simeon. He was hungry to see God. He was hungry. He was desperate for the Lord. And we need to find ourselves in that place to be used mightily by God. And he was promised that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. You know what? How incredibly important it is that we see Jesus before we die. What I mean by that is we need to see Jesus for who He is before we die. Amen? Because after we die, it's too late. You know, there is no purgatory. There's no reincarnation. You're not coming back again to try this. It, the Bible says, appointed for man once to live and then to die and then the judgment. And the reason we're here is to see Jesus Christ for who He is. To know Him and make Him known. What an awesome promise to Simeon. Before you die, you're going to see the Messiah. And you know, my prayer would be for everybody in this room, before you die, that you would see Jesus Christ for who He is. He's not just a religious icon of men, but He's the Savior of the universe who desires to have a relationship with every single one of us. Verse 27, So He came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for Him according to the custom of the law, He took Him in His arms and blessed God and said... Note how Simeon did not miss God's plan, purpose, or promise for his life as he was led by and obedient to the Holy Spirit. Look what it says there in that verse. He came by the Spirit. How did he know that the Lord was going to be in the temple? The Holy Spirit brought him there. We've talked about this over and over and over again. I believe that there are divine appointments in every single one of our lives every single day. Nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. Every single day, God's bringing people into our life who we have a chance to share our faith with, someone to encourage. And so often, I know me, I miss it. I miss it because I've got my agenda, I've got my plan. But the reason that God saved us is not that we would be pew potatoes and fat sheep. Amen? Not that we'd be so fed that we just get fat, oh, I'm a big fat sheep. I know the Bible real well, you know, and you know, don't ask me any questions about it because I don't have time right now. But, you know, God saved us to use us. And God brings these people into our path that we might be salt and light to them every single day. And Simeon was led by the Spirit and he didn't miss Jesus Christ because he was obedient when he was led by the Spirit. How many of you guys, raise your hand, I'm, my hand's already up. How many of you know that you know that you know that the Holy Spirit has told you, I want you to talk to that person about me, and then you didn't do it? Don't you hate that, right? Don't you hate it when you don't? Because what, that's what it feels like to me. I get the Holy Spirit head slap, I call it, right? I mean, you know, you, you, Lord, I want you to go, oh yeah, but... Oh. You know, and we get the fear of men, right? Fear of men. Oh, I'm afraid, but Lord, you know, they might ask me where Cain, Cain got his wife or something. I don't know out of the Bible, right? And then what am I going to do, Lord? I, I don't have all the answers, and how am I going to... Uh, and we get all... And then, and then they leave, and oh, and then we're bombed, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit convicts us. And you know, we, when we're led by the Spirit, we need to remember that God never leads us to do anything that He won't equip us to do. Amen? And here Simeon was led by the Spirit, and he went into the temple. 
Simeon said, oh, and the Holy Spirit led him, and he went and he got to hold the Son of God in his arms. What an awesome moment for Simeon. He'd been praying and waiting for this day for years. And here he is holding the Messiah in his arms. God led him, and he didn't miss it. I'll ask you a question. What's God leading you to do? What's God leading you to do? Why did God save you? What's the calling He has on your life? Examine your own heart. Say, Lord, what have you called me to do? What are you leading me to do? And remember this, a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. You know, I, I was, most of you know I was a youth pastor for about 15 years. And for me, I love teenagers. I still do. I always will. And you know what? Most people think, you've got to be crazy. You hung out with teenagers on purpose? And yeah, yeah, I did. And you know what? I loved them. And I would be driving down in my car and I'd see teenagers on a corner. I'd get out of my car and go talk to them because I had such a burden for teenagers. And for me, it wasn't a have to, it was a get to. And when you're called by God, it's never a drudgery or a bummer. It's a total blessing to be involved in what God's doing. So ask God, Lord, show me your will. And whatever you have a burden for, be faithful to it like Simeon was. And look at now, here, here we're going to see Simeon's Christmas song of praise and prophetic truth. You know, Mary, after the visit of the angel, she sang a song unto the Lord. The shepherds, after visiting Jesus Christ and seeing Him for who He was, they went back rejoicing and praising God, not ashamed to let everybody know what they had seen. And you know what? So often as Christians sometimes, I think we dial it down. You know, oh, we don't want to be noticed. We want to fit into the world. You know, oh man, I don't want to look like some kind of Jesus freak. But hey, who better to be a freak for than Jesus Christ? Amen? And so you know, if, they want to consider, if they want to identify you with anything, what is it? If your co-workers were to identify you with something, what would it be? If your neighbors were to identify you with something, what would it be? And you know what? May it be Jesus Christ. May they say, man, that's the guy or that's the woman who just loves God, who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Simeon didn't care what anybody thought. Simeon was excited and he begins to rejoice and praise God as he's holding the Messiah in his hand. There would be those in the temple all around him who would think he was crazy as he held the Messiah in his hand. And we know that we don't see anybody else repenting here. We don't see anybody else believing. But yet we see that he's not ashamed to cry out the truth. Look what it says in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Having seen Jesus, Simeon's prayers, and God's promise had been answered, they'd come to pass, he was now ready to die in peace. Only those who know Jesus Christ, only those who have seen him for who he is, can die in peace. You know what? I've done funerals. And you know what? Some funerals are great. You know why? Because Christians die well. Amen? Hey, what, it, God, I've told you this before. If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, don't anybody cry, have a party, put me in a hefty bag, leave me on the curb, and don't worry about it. Because I'm in heaven. Amen? I mean, I'm going to be around the throne of God and I won't be thinking about you. I mean, I love you guys, but I won't be thinking about you because I'll be looking at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm going to close my eyes on earth and I'm going to open them up in heaven. And so are you if you know Jesus Christ. Amen? But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what's really hard is doing a funeral for somebody who didn't know God. Man. How do you comfort somebody? How do you encourage somebody? All you can do is exhort people that they not have the same thing happen to them. And Simeon had seen Jesus Christ and he said, you know what? I can die. I, I, I've seen the Lord. You know what? I, it's, it doesn't matter if anything else happens in the rest of my life. I need nothing else for my life to be fulfilled. And you know what? As Christians, we should be the same way. Having known Jesus Christ in a personal way, we should, we should need nothing else in our life to be fulfilled. Amen? 
We shouldn't need, oh, if I get promoted, then I'll be happy. You know, if I just find the right, if I have this many kids, if I do this, if I do that, then I'll have peace. If I can get enough money in the bank or buy this house. You know what? If you don't have peace in your current circumstances, you'll never have peace no matter what happens in your circumstances. If your circumstances are required, if they've got to be perfect for you to be happy, you're going to be miserable most of the time. Our joy comes from walking with God, being filled with His Spirit, understanding eternity. And you know what? You can take all I have and I'll still have all I need. Amen? If you've got Jesus Christ. Simeon said, hey, I've seen the Lord. It doesn't get any better than this. This is it. Lord, just take me now. It's all, this is what I've been waiting for. This is it. And we should have that same joy and same peace in our heart. And he begins to sing out, like I said, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is prophetic. One who would redeem his people from their sins. How does this guy know that? How does Simeon know that he's holding this baby in his hands and says, my eyes have seen your salvation? The one who will save people from their sins. God's people again. What an awesome thing to know that we have seen the one who has saved us from our sins. Amen? We're saved. Not being saved, not going to be saved, you're saved. Going to heaven. It's an absolute, it's not a hope so, it's a no so. I know for sure. And Simeon is just rejoicing in the fact that he's seen salvation. Verse 31. Which you have prepared prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. Now this is awesome to me, because think about this. He's saying that He is the salvation of your people, and oh, by the way, not just for some people, but for all people. Look what it says there. For the face of all peoples, to bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory to the people Israel. That would not have been a popular theme in the temple that day. But you know what he said? Jesus didn't come for some, He came for all. The Bible says His desire that none should perish, no, not one. You know, I don't get, you know, Calvinism doesn't work for me. People say, oh yeah, well He died for just the elect. No, He didn't. He died for all. And there are those who reject Him and those who accept Him. His desire that none should perish, no, not one. For God so loved the elect, that's not what the Bible says. It's for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And God reveals to Simeon here that God died for all of mankind. He said He's going to be the Savior for all tribes, tongues, nations, and people. That's exciting to me. What an awesome message. A word of prophecy. And why does Simeon know this? I'll tell you why Simeon knows it. Because Simeon is a man who spent time in God's presence. Now we're going to see a warning that he's going to exhort Mary and Joseph. Verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, Joseph and Mary begin by hearing his words, and they're blown away as he's holding the baby Jesus in his hand, and he says he's going to be the Savior of peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues. He's going to save the Jew and the Gentile alike. All they've done is take their baby in at the end of purification. Mary and Joseph have not said one word to anybody about Jesus, about who he is. They walk into the temple, Simeon takes him in his hands and reveals who he is. And they were blown away. Whoa! How do they know this about our son? I believe it's maybe even more than they understood. They knew that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. But Simeon's revealing even to the parents who this child would be. But then he also gives them not only the blessing of who he was, but also a warning. He said, the fall and rise of many in Israel. 1 Peter 2.8 refers to Jesus as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus Christ will have an impact on every life that ever walks this planet. He will either be the stumbling stone of offense 
through and, and a, a stone of judgment to them, or he will be the point of salvation. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, The cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So Jesus is either a means of salvation if, the, if you believe, or a means of judgment if you reject the gospel. The Bible says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But eternity hangs in the balance on whether we confess Him here or we confess Him after we die. But every knee will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Buddha is bowing to Jesus. Muhammad is bowing to Jesus. Osama bin Laden is going to bow to Jesus Christ if he hasn't already. Amen? Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. It's awesome. And so we see here that he says that he is going to many... There will be a fall and rise of many in Israel because of Jesus Christ. But it says here also that there will be a sign. A sign will be spoken, which will be spoken against. The word sign there is a miracle. Remember when Jesus performed miracles, what did they say? There were many who, who were saved, but there were also those in Israel who accused Him of being of the devil. You guys remember that? They said, oh man, you're doing that by, by the power of Satan. Remember the Lord said, you know, how does Satan, you know, do things to cast out demons. A house divided against itself cannot stand. But they accused Him of doing things in the power of Satan. And when people look at the, at, at the cross of Jesus Christ, there are those who reject His miracles, reject the signs that should make it clear as to who He really is. And then it says here in, in the next verse, verse 35, A sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now this is a reference to the personal grief Mary would endure when she watched her own son die in agony. And you know, it's interesting to me that he speaks only to Mary. Because what does he say there? And he said to Mary, his mother. You know why? Because Joseph was dead already when Jesus went to the cross. And he said, you are going to be pierced through your soul. He's warning her that because she is blessed among women, God's going to use her mightily, but at the same time, she's going to face great grief as she sees the death of her son on the cross. And let me just encourage you with something. And I think it is something to be encouraged with. That as Christians... We're going to be blessed and used mightily by God. But you know what? If you make a stand for Him, you're going to be persecuted for Him also. Amen? Just like Jesus Christ was. The Bible says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all, evil of man, all manner of evil against you for My name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. You know what? If you're not being persecuted for your faith, you're not being vocal enough. Amen? You know what? Because we will face persecution. If we're excited about the things of God, there are going to be some people that will tell you, oh, bro, relax, man. You know, dial it down, man. Whatever. You know, leave me alone, man. And that's going to happen on occasion. But if we really care for those people, we're going to have a burden for them. And he says to her, you're, you're going to be pierced through, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The end of verse 35. The rejection of the Messiah would reveal the truth of the apostate state of the Jews. The Jews, are at the first time Jesus came, rejected Him for the most part. You know, we know that the apostles were Jews. We know that many did follow after Jesus Christ. We know that most of them who had the Old Testament in their hand missed the Messiah. They had the Word of God in their hand. They did all the rituals that pointed to Him, but yet they still missed Him. And you know what's scary to me today? I believe, and you know, this is my Dave's opinion, okay? I believe that most people that are sitting in churches around the United States today are going to hell without Jesus Christ. Man, that's heavy. Well, wait a minute. That's pretty judgmental, Pastor Dave. Well, you know what? A lot of people, churches become a religious country club. 
I told you I called on a customer the other day that told me in 20-something years, he can't remember the last time his pastor talked about sin or repentance or need for a Savior. They go to church and talk about seven keys to joy. You know, how to balance your checkbook. You know, Beaver doesn't live for anymore, the series. You know, you do all this stuff and there's no Bible. And there's no salvation. And there's no repentance. And there's no need for a Savior. And, and that's exactly what happened. The Jews had the Word of God, but yet they were biblically illiterate and they missed the Messiah. May we not miss the Messiah. May we not have 47 Bibles sitting on our house collecting dust and miss the Messiah as He comes by. May we not miss Jesus Christ in our lifetime. Amen? May He not just be somebody we know about, but may we know Him in an intimate and a personal way and walk with Him. Anna's prophecy, verse 36. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Now, Anna's testimony, her name, the name Anna means grace. And Anna had a testimony that she was totally devoted to God. She had been married for seven years, and then her husband died. Now, the natural reaction of most of mankind when something like that happens to us is we want to blame God. You know, God, this isn't fair. And I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, sometimes I see things I don't fully understand. I had a friend in Southern California whose three-year-old daughter died in his driveway. And I'll tell you what, that's hard to understand. But at the same time, we need to have the peace that surpasses all understanding, not the peace that comes from understanding. To trust that God knows what He's doing, that He's in control. Amen? Anna's husband died. She could have blamed God. She could have been bitter toward God. She could have said, I don't want anything to do with God. Instead, what did she do? She devoted her life totally to God. She said, you know what? I don't have a husband anymore. I'm just going to honor God with my whole heart. I'm going to serve Him completely. And so often we look around and say, you know, I want, a, I want a husband or a wife. It's just not fair. You know, I wish I had this job. I wish I had these children. You know, it's just not fair. It's not fair that these... these these treacherous things, these trials have come into my life. You know what? Instead of running from God in the midst of your trial, maybe we ought to run to Him. Amen? And that's what Anna did. And it says she fasted and prayed day and night. She wasn't distracted by a marriage anymore. Now she said, you know what, Lord? I'm completely yours. I'm going to serve you with my whole heart. I'm going to seek after you completely. And that's exactly what she did. She moved into the temple. She said, you know what? I don't have a husband anymore. I'm just moving down there. I'm just going to pray without ceasing. I'm going to seek after God. That's the ministry God's called me to. And that's what I'm going to do. And so she does that. And she prays. And it says she was 84 years old. She did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayer night and day. Instead of being bitter, Anna devoted herself completely to God. And she came into the very... Now watch this in verse 38. I love this. And coming in at that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who look for the redemption in Israel. So here she is, someone who seeks after God. She's praying all the time. She's totally devoted to the Lord. And she comes walking into the temple at the very moment that Simeon is saying, Behold, I've seen the salvation of the Lord. And she comes walking in. Now, would that be a coincidence? There are no coincidences in the kingdom of God. Amen? This is a woman who's devoted to God, who's seeking after the Lord, who's on her face in prayer. She comes walking into the temple, and there's Jesus. And there's Simeon saying, I've seen salvation. And she cries out and praises the Lord. And look what she does next. I love this. She, it says, And she spoke of Him to all those who look for redemption in Israel, or in Jerusalem. So what did she do after she saw Jesus? She ran out and told everybody. Amen? You know, a lot of times as Christians, well, you know, I've only been a Christian about 15 years. I'm, you know, I, I'm not quite ready to share my faith. 
You know, I, I still got, you know, I haven't read all of Leviticus, you know, and there's parts of the Bible I'm just not that clear on yet. You know, as soon as I go through a few more classes, then maybe I'll be... You know what? You know what? The, the two seconds after you've been saved, God can use you to minister to somebody. Amen? You've got a testimony. You've been born again. And Anna saw him and went out and told everybody. You know, the problem is that most believers are afraid to share our faith. I read a study once somewhere that something like 4 or 5% of Christians lead someone to the Lord during their lifetime. Do you think God's only called 4 or 5% of Christians to share their faith? Jesus said, go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. When I stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day, only what I've done for Him is going to matter. The amount of money my 401k will be irrelevant. The amount of stock that I own, the, 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 the size of my house, you know, how much I could bench press, right? I mean, all that stuff is not going to matter in heaven. Yet we spend more time doing those things than we do pursuing that which is eternal. Sad. But she spoke of Him to all those who look for redemption. Truly godly devotion produces righteous actions and spiritual fruit gone over on time. Let me just finish up. Verse 39. So when they performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee in their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Only thing I want to say about this is that Jesus Christ, this is the only verse that we see from the age of, of infancy to the age 12. And it basically tells us that Jesus Christ became 100% man. He took away his deity to the point where he had to grow in stature where he had to be somebody who literally, he, he, just like you and I, went through growing pains, he went through growing pains. He can relate to everything that we can relate to. He relates to us in all ways, and yet without sin. He was tempted like we've been tempted in all ways, and yet without sin. And it's the only recorded verse that we see. You know what, I was going to go through the rest of the chapter. Let's just finish up there, and I just want to say this, and, and the worship team can come on up to summarize what we looked at this morning. Next week we'll look at Jesus Christ as He's in the temple. And He's 12 years old, and He's going to be illuminating the rabbis on what the Scriptures mean. You know what I, you know what I thought about? This would be kind of like a 12-year-old kid showing up and teaching Einstein about you know, the theory of relativity or something, man. You imagine he's sitting there, I know everything. And a 12-year-old kid comes in, no, you're wrong on that, let me help you out with this. This is what it really means, and this is what it really And we're going to see next week that Jesus Christ is going to show up in the temple at 12 years old, and the rabbi is going to go, whoa. And even though they go, whoa, they're not going to believe him anyway. Why? Because they're set in their own ways. I got my own way, I got my own truth. But what's awesome to me is that very little is mentioned of Jesus Christ as he's growing up. And I think that, you know, people try to create gospels that they, oh, well, we need to find a gospel for when Jesus was a kid. No, we don't. Because if we needed to know what Jesus was doing when he was growing up, it'd be in the Bible. Amen? It's not in there for a reason. But I think it's significant that there was 30 years of ministry, or 30 years of preparation in Jesus' life for three years of ministry. And the world today, it's three years of preparation for 30 years of ministry. Right? I mean, we've got to got it flipped. We think that, oh man, I've got to hurry up and get out of Bible college. Well, we need to be preparing our hearts and living our life prepared to be used mildly by God. So what an example, though. So in conclusion, look at the incredible contrast between those who 
who missed Jesus Christ because they were busy with the cares of this world, and those who were seeking after God with their whole heart, and they didn't miss Him. May we as believers not just know about Jesus Christ. May it not be something that we do one or two hours a week. May we walk with Him and talk with Him. May He be your best friend. May you have an intimate relationship with Him. May, may you be obedient when that Holy Spirit calling comes upon your life to be used for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You and we praise You for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, for just the... The fact that you sent your Son to earth, that we might know God in an intimate and a personal way. And you said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Lord, what a blessing to know that we can know, the, again, the Creator of the universe. And Father, I pray for each one of us here, that we would not just know about you. That we would not fall into the trap of, of those in the synagogue or those, the, the innkeepers being so busy, Lord, that we miss having a personal, intimate relationship with the Creator of the universe. Lord, I pray for each person here, Lord. Draw us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Reveal to us the calling you've placed upon our lives and help us to be obedient to it, that our lives may count in eternity. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship and honor your name. You're such an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, let's stand up and let's worship.